everyone, I hope you are well. I'm Carlos Carnicero Uravallen and I want to welcome you all to Future is Blue, a series of podcasts bringing together top experts from academia and think tanks to discuss the most pressing European economic and policy challenges of today. This is a Funkas Europe initiative and we hope we can bring new ideas for a more inspiring debate about Europe. Is the German economy again the sick man of Europe, as it was once labeled back in the late 90s? The International Monetary Fund recently forecasted that Germany would be the globe's only major economy to shrink this year, even with weak economic growth around the world amid rising interest rates and the threat of growing inflation. To know more about what's going on in the EU's biggest economy, we've invited to the show Sander Tordoir, who's senior economist at the Center for European Reform. Thank you for joining us again, Sander. Pleasure to be here. Excellent. Welcome back. And of course, Raymond Torres, who's Funka's Europe director. Thank you, Raymond. Hello. Uh, so perhaps we could start with a basic question today. And um, Sander, many commentators are arguing that uh, the German economy is inevitably entering recession. Do you, do you agree with that? I mean, I think the question of recession or not, in a sense, is missing the bigger point here. The bigger point is that the German economy has been, despite all the pandemic up and down and energy crisis, basically flat for four and a half years. And so I think the big story here is that the German economy seems unable to grow, to get past its pre-pandemic sort of size. And in fact, if you look at industry, which in many respects has been the, the German engine of growth and, and it's sort of unique in a sense, right, compared to other advanced economies that tend to rely also more heavily on services, that, that particular German engine has been stalling since before the pandemic, before the energy crisis, uh, before the sort of tensions geoeconomically that we see, although those at the time already played a role. And so I think the big story here is one of sort of more structural German stagnation and what to do about it. Uh, so in a sense, I think the, the question whether or not they have a, a shallow recession this year or not, the next quarter or not, kind of just obfuscates the, what's really the key issue here. The German economy has been in a way in a transition since already before the pandemic where the initial signs of a change were already felt. And I think this can be ascribed to what I think is a major change in the global economy, which is a shift from a multilateral system, a system that relies on, on long supply chains, to something different, uh, which obeys much more to the logic of uh, trade blocks and uh, and implies a different management of supply chains, perhaps with a shorter dimension. I think this this has had an impact, a disproportionate impact on the industry. Uh, and of course, uh, as Sander was saying, uh, German, Germany has, has a large, large industrial sector, large and very successful for a long time industrial sector. In, in addition, it has affected German disproportionately, the German industry, industry disproportionately because of its, its reliance on China, and some other Asian economies, 
for uh, its very successful production model. And, uh, and, and then the twin shocks, uh, uh, supply chain changes, plus uh, a move from multilateralism to regional trade blocks uh, have really uh, affected Germany. And indeed, Germany is one uh, of the two countries uh, in, in, the, in the EU where GDP is lower than the pre-pandemic level today, the other is uh, Czech Republic. So I think this is a matter of concern, obviously. Perhaps we, we should add to that list the high, higher energy prices and the desire to get rid of the uh, resources, the, the energy resources from Russia that is affecting Germany more than others. Um, Sander, do you agree with the, the root causes that Raymond was describing? Um, I, mean, I mean, absolutely. I think the big, the big global backdrop is one of geoeconomic tension and the German model for a long time relied on what you might call a naive export model or in, if you put it in a more positive frame a model that hinged on having this rule-based international order and a system in which countries particularly the two superpowers the US and China are to some extent abandoning the World Trade Organization and imposing much more sort of ad hoc protectionist measures, particularly, for example, in the green tech manufacturing and in the chips industry. That's a serious headache for a country like Germany that hasn't really had to grapple with that. But there are also, I would say, some specific German issues uh, that have an interplay with this changing economic uh, landscape that Raymond laid out so well. So if you if you look at the car sector, which is absolutely cr critical for Germany. They, they started going into a bit of a tailspin also because of Dieselgate back in 2018-19 when it was discovered that they'd been tampering with EU emissions tests. And so the car sector itself has been late in a sense to realize that they needed to shift to electric vehicles and they had to abruptly divest from diesel vehicles which was a very costly and sort of dramatic transition uh, imposed in a sense by their own uh, wrongdoing yeah and so all of that's coming together now now in, if you look at the, the latest data there's an additional challenge which is that china has rapidly become a massive exporter of vehicles uh, particularly electric vehicles they've already overtaken germany last year as the second largest exporter in the world and they at least in terms of volume of vehicles, have now also overtaken Japan. So there's also a significant China shock that's basically hammering into this already battered German car sector, which again is, by many metrics, probably Germany's most important sector. And so there's a lot going on. And in some sense, Germany has exacerbated the threat that now emerges by arguably clinging on a bit too long to the world of yesterday. Uh, they let their companies plow lots of foreign direct investment into China. They let their companies enter joint ventures, which foster technology transfer to China. Now that was the price of admissions and it was hard to do business there otherwise. But the Germans weren't really pushing so much for a level playing field with China as much as let's say the US is doing now and did more in the past. And so this sort of international economic policy and domestic economic policy and perhaps a lack of 
dynamism at home and innovation, it's all coming together in a sort of perfect storm for the German economy. And the car sector exemplifies that in many respects. Now, I, I imagine if, if Germany was in a delicate position when the, the crisis with Russia happened, I guess if there was another crisis with China in view of the tensions we're seeing in Taiwan, Germany would be particularly uh, affected in view of the the relationship it has with with uh, with China. Do you agree, Raymond? Yes, indeed. Uh, the connection with China is very very significant, and uh, and already now, I mean, what we see is that uh, imports, uh, you know, from from China are, are slowing down or even declining. And so China is trying to, in a way, get out of the. The, the significant slowdown of its economy by exporting and it, it is importing much less. So the, the Chinese market is less and less interesting in a way in terms of size. And that was a case, let's say, a decade a decade ago where it was a, a leader of the world economy in a way, at the world trade. Uh, and so that, 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 that would affect Germany. Germany has very significant assets, of course. It has a, the, a social model, a, a way of addressing uh shocks uh, and and technological uh, changes it, uh, by by social dialogue by has has a very very well trained uh, workforce uh, and this has been an asset it's, and it is still a major asset but the problem is that in order to overcome all the issues that Sandoz was uh, was mentioning of the shifts in world trade and the technological changes what uh, what what was needed was investment And here is not only Germany, but also I would say also in general in the European Union, we have neglected uh, this particular dimension. And for example, in the case of uh, uh, green car, but also uh, in, in, other, in other areas, uh, in high-tech areas, we, we don't have uh, major players at the moment, uh, the equivalents of the you know, Googles and so on. And, and this is partly a, a problem of lack of investment or a vision, an industrial vision or technological vision at the European level. Uh, and it's a muscle we haven't developed for a long time, uh, whereas the others have been training uh, that muscle for a long time. And that um, gap between uh, Europe and uh, the other two superpowers, the US and, and China, Is, is hitting Germany disproportionately because Germany needs to rely much more on high-tech, high-value-added, high-productivity. So that's, that's uh, its specialization is very much at that end, whereas other countries like, for example, Spain, are more at uh, the, the middle of the specialization pattern. And, the, and so the, the, the hit, the shock is much less significant. I think, Raymond, you're pointing to something that Sander said before about the world of yesterday and the world of tomorrow. And you described the, the key sectors, the key industries and the technological advances that are needed to, to, to stay competitive in, in tomorrow's world. Now, Sander, if we look at what the government in Berlin should be doing or what are the, the key policies that are needed to, um, to help uh, the German economy overcome those challenges, what do you think are the, the most important aspects they, the executive should consider in this situation? I, th I think Raymond's completely right that the big picture here is that the German economy needs to adjust. In this new world, they may not be able to rely as much on foreign demand for, for cars, machines and chemicals 
nor can they rely on importing Russian gas to provide the energy to build them as much. And so the economy will have to adjust. And I, I fully agree with Raymond that Germany has many assets, it has many strengths that put it actually in a, in a strong position to do so. Uh, it has probably more fiscal space, more budgetary space than almost any other major advanced economy I can think of. It has, uh, it attracts a lot of migrants. It has still a well-skilled workforce, although the sort of belt tightening under Angela Merkel's rule has done also some damage there. If you look at net spending on higher education, was basically flat in Germany over the last decade compared to a growth of 15% in the US and over 100% in certain Eastern European countries. And so some of the pain of the lack of investment is coming, right? That, that hits you one or two decades later and throughout the 2010s and probably even before and after Germany has underinvested and so some of the pain is still coming. So the big picture is to, to buck the trend and to really go for a big investment drive to finally do some structural reforms at home, basically the medicine that Germany advocated for Southern Europe, it, it may need some of that itself. Yeah. And so if you look at legal services, if you look at notary services in Germany, it's completely regulated. It's like super expensive to set up a business in Germany. It's expensive to scale it up. It's a legal forest and there are vested interest groups that like to keep it complicated. And so, a combination of investment in this is not rocket science yeah it's the basic stuff education infrastructure railways cutting red tape making sure that professional services to allow firms to grow and to develop and to allow young people to be entrepreneurial all of that it's it's not new right it's not like we're reinventing the wheel germany just has to get down and do it and i don't think they will and i think that's why i'm really concerned it's because if you look at what the current government of Greens, Social Democrats and, and sort of business-oriented liberals, they, there is no strategy. They're sort of fighting over different buckets. Some of them want to cut, cut budgets, basically, and we know that that tends to hurt investment the most. The Greens are still trying to push energy subsidies for industry to try to keep the old growth model alive and to buy time to go green. But that's not a very coherent story and there's no sort of political coalition for a large 10-year investment drive along the lines that Raymond and I outlined. So in that sense, I'm, I'm a bit pessimistic that they're going to use those, that potential, those assets they have in the most optimal way. Mm. Any, any thoughts on that, Raymond, on, on how to pivot to tomorrow's uh, e economic world and what policymakers should be doing at this time? Yes, I, I, I think that, uh, I mean, Sander knows better Germany than, than, than me, so I won't add anything to what he has said. Uh, I will only speak at the, you know, what the implication is the other side of the story is at the European level. And I think this should be, in a way, the subject of the next elections, the upcoming elections of next year, uh, which is to devise a vision for Europe as a whole. I think these, these issues are extremely important. It's very much, the, in a way, the, the future the prosperity of future generations. And so I think we're talking about uh, very significant issues. And indeed, the, in a way, it's, it's, it's a significant shift that, that this implies from a policy at the, European, at the European level, which basically 
tries to ensure a level playing field uh, between enterprises, and I think that's, that's of course very important, to a policy which is more proactive and drives investment, uh, uh, that's more difficult. That is, of course, more difficult. And indeed, uh, it would be foolish to spend uh, funds on subsidies, each country trying to subsidize its own existing, in a way, industry or, or productive sectors, uh, not, not only industries, as, as seems to be happening now with the, some exceptions to uh, state aid, uh, I think uh, that, 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 that can only be detrimental not only from the point of view of, of course, the public budget, because it would be a, 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 an, infl you know, an inflation in terms of subsidies, spurious in, uh, subsidies, but in addition, it will not change very much in, uh, uh, in terms of the challenges, the technological and growth challenges of the future. We, re we truly need a European strategy and, uh, and be less concerned about where, for example, I see that in the semiconductor industry where there is a competition between different places where the particular semiconductor industry should be located. I think the most important is perhaps to develop that uh, type of sector uh, and and and, uh, and not uh, engage in a run for subsidies to uh, encourage attract investment in particular locations because I think I'm not sure it will we will be successful for the future. So, in in in, in short, I think what we need is uh, is to uh, devise uh, uh, solutions, and I think that's why important uh, think tanks will have an important role to play in the run up to the next European elections because we need to think different options for Europe. Thank you, Raymond. Um, absolutely, and, and you're right about the, the role of think tanks nurturing this discussion ahead of the next European elections. And um, maybe, Sander, we're about to close today, but maybe you want to react about what Raymond said about the local subsidies not the way forward, because obviously they, they wouldn't make us overall competitive at the EU level vis-a-vis -vis China, vis-a-vis -vis the US. Any final thoughts? I, I completely agree. I think it's an absolutely essential point that Raymond was making because a lot of this is triggered by fear of losing global competitiveness, right? But then the approach of Germany and France, by the way, and, and maybe a few others, is to go completely national and to get leeway from Brussels to subsidize their own industries and to hand out, do big handouts to bring semiconductor plants to East Germany, for example. And there's really no European thinking or strategy behind that. And that doesn't really make sense because, as Raymond said, I mean, Germany may not have a world-leading digital sector, but Europe at large has leading sectors, right? We have a leading luxury sector in France that has extremely fat margins, similar to tech firms, really, right? I mean, they're handbags, but still, from an economic standpoint, it's highly valuable. The Netherlands is home to the world's most advanced semiconductor machinery fa factory, which has huge supply chains running into Germany. That's a case in point, right? And that was that that firm and its sort of cutting edge technology was at the very heart of, of the Biden administration's agenda to cut China off from advanced technology. And I think uh, that speaks a bit to the lack of European strategy because the Dutch were pressured into a deal where they imposed export restrictions on, on those machines. But there wasn't much thinking about, for example, getting the US and Japan and maybe South Korea to agree on uh, 
is sort of guaranteed to deliver semiconductors to Europe, even in case there is an escalation of tensions in the Pacific. So across all these dimensions, we need much more of a European strategy, be it on subsidies, be it also on sort of our foreign economic policy, where we're still quite divided. Absolutely. Great, great points to to end the show today. Uh, so thanks a lot, both of you. Uh, Sander Tordoir, who's, uh, let me remind our, our audience uh, that you're senior economist at the Center for European Reform. Thanks a lot for joining us today. Thanks so much. This was great. And uh, Raymond Torres, who's uh, Funka's Europe director. Thank you very much. I hope uh, people will hear what Sander was saying now, right now, because that's truly important for Europe. Thanks. Thank you all for joining. This was all for now. We will come back soon with more exciting speakers on Europe's economic and policy-related key debates. Future is Blue is a Funcas Europe initiative. I'm Carlos Carnicero-Ravallen, and if you enjoyed this podcast, feel free to recommend it to others and share it on social media. Thank you all, and stay well.